Hello and welcome to NLP Highlights, a podcast where we discuss recent research in natural language processing. The hosts are members of the Allen NLP team at the Allen Institute for AI. In each episode, we discuss one or more NLP research papers with researchers working in that space. I am Pradeep Dasiki, a research scientist on the Allen NLP team. Okay, uh, today's topic of discussion is uh, nearest neighbor language modeling and machine translation. To tell us about uh, recent work in this direction, we have with us Urvashi Kandelwal, who is a research scientist at Google Brain. This was work done at Stanford and uh, Facebook uh, when she was a PhD student. We will discuss two of her recent papers titled uh, Generalization Through Memorization, Nearest Neighbor Language Models, published at ICLEAR 2020, and Nearest Neighbor Machine Translation, published at uh, ICLEAR 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Urvashi. Thanks so much for having me, Pradeep. <laughs> so let's talk about nearest neighbor language models. Can you give us a brief overview of what exactly these models are? Sure. Like a quick, short explanation would be HANA-NLM or nearest neighbor language model extends a pre-trained language model, a pre-trained autoregressive language model with a nearest neighbor's retrieval component without any additional training of the LM parameters. So given a pre-trained LM, we build an external data store where examples are saved and the LM queries it when making predictions. Cool. Yeah, thanks. So what's the motivation behind doing this? I mean, why, why, what's, what uh, drawbacks do neural language models have that you're trying to fix? Yeah, so I think to better understand the motivation for Canon LM, let's take a look back at the state of LM circa 2019, which is when this work was done. So at the time, we basically had some evidence for the fact that these models were implicitly memorizing information in their parameters. But it wasn't very clear how brittle this implicit memorization was or how much we could control it. And for some of the smaller models, it wasn't clear how how much the capacity limitation played a role. We also had some evidence that these models couldn't always adapt to distributional shifts like new facts that the model wasn't trained on. And lastly, we knew that some of the largest of these models were prohibitively expensive to train. And so what we're doing in this work is we're proposing this paradigm called generalization through memorization. Now, memorization refers to the process of saving data in an external memory. And when given a test instance, retrieving similar examples to make similar predictions. So at at first, it seems like a bit of a paradox that, oh, memorization is going to help the model generalize to new situations. But if you think about it, it's actually quite a natural approach to draw associations to previously seen seen examples or previously seen data. And a simple way to illustrate this is the fact that we all know that the the phrases Pride and Prejudice was written by and the author of Pride and Prejudice is, they mean the same thing even if we don't know about Jane Austen. So seeing one example sort of helps us generalize to the other one. I guess I should also point out that, that these types of exemplar models have been explored in pre-neural NLP for, for a number of different tasks, but because they were always using discrete feature spaces, measuring similarity in these complex feature spaces always per generalization and, and made it quite difficult for the model to generalize. So, so in this work, we're, we're trying to make a compelling case for the fact that studying memorization in conjunction with deep learning models is an interesting and a powerful approach because these models are, are such great representation learners. And, and so for KNLM, we're basically using the excellent representations learned by the model 
to improve performance via nearest neighbor search and retrieval, which is which is what we're calling memorization. Right. So I understand the motivation. I think the when you're using the representations learned by a language model that's trained in the usual way, a neural language model that's trained in the usual way, you get these uh, representations that put similar context in similar spaces, right? Which is true with or, uh, the usual neural language models as well, right? So what do you exactly gain by making these making the memory more explicit right so so what we're getting is the fact that that the representation learning problem for these deep learning models is far easier than the implicit memorization for the task which in case of in the case of a language model is next word prediction so so the model is isn't able to especially for the long tail of information where you have sparser signals in the data for long tail facts the model isn't able to memorize these in its parameters, as well as it's able to sort of learn generalizable representations for the, the prior context. And so that's kind of what we're exploiting. That behavior is what we're exploiting in KNNL. Yeah, that makes sense. You make this point pretty early on in your paper that using the KNNLM formulation, you're separating the problems of representation learning or text similarity uh, and next word prediction. And I, I thought that was a pretty interesting motivation and it, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it, right? Yeah, okay, so that's great. So let's talk about how exactly the KNLM is built. Uh, can you give us uh, an overview of exactly what happens and how do you build this external memory and how inference works and so on? For sure. So in order to build the data store for KNLM, which is just a set of key value pairs, we need two things. We need a pre-trained language model and we need data that will be memorized. So we know that, that typically a language model will take some context as input, map it to a high dimensional representation, and then use this representation to estimate a probability distribution for the next token. And so effectively, an example for a language model is a context target pair. And these pairs are, are what we're going to be storing in our data store. And since we're retrieving similar previously seen contexts, the keys in our data store will be the context representations, which we get by doing forward passes with our language model over the data that needs to be memorized. And the values in the data store are the corresponding target tokens. So in order to build the data store, we basically go through and save every single token that appears in the data and it's indexed by the corresponding context representation, which means that the same value and probably ends up mul appearing multiple times in the data store, but always with a unique context representation or a unique key. And that's how that's basically how we build the, the data store. And then in order to understand how inference works, um, well, we know that a language model takes as input some test context and outputs a language model distribution. But it also outputs this high dimensional context representation, which we're going to use as the query for the data store. And so given this query, we start by computing L2 distances between, between the query and a subset of the keys in the data store. Then we prune this list to keep the top K nearest neighbors. And then we normalize the distances to, to generate a probability distribution. And because the same value appears multiple times in the data store, we could end up with duplicate values in our retrieved set as well. And so in order to remove the duplicates, we just aggregate scores across the values that appear multiple times. And so in this way, we basically get a Canon distribution 
over the the same vocabulary that the LM distribution output is over. And so where it, any any word from the vocab that doesn't appear in the in the retrieved set just gets a probability of zero. So since we have two distributions that that are over the same set, we can just interpolate them to get the final canon LM distribution. Okay, yeah, thanks. So to try and summarize what you just said, after you train uh, your neural language model uh, in the usual way, you uh, at inference time, you also have access to some data store. It, it could be the training uh, data that uh, the model was trained on. Um, and you, you build a data store from that data and uh, you have the capability of being able to retrieve uh, the next words at any given point. Okay, and that makes sense. Um, I, I mean, given that you're you're retrieving a finite number, probably a small number of uh, nearest neighbors, I'm guessing the distribution of the nearest neighbors is pretty sparse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the distribution yeah. of next words from the nearest neighbor language model is pretty sparse, right? Can you give us an intuition of uh, what that distribution would look like in comparison to the distribution of the next words from the usual neural language model? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of depends on on the because we're saving every single token from our our data set. It, it kind of depends on on how sparse the signal for for that token or the relevant signal for that token might be in our data set. So we've seen behaviors where the model might retrieve the like a single extremely confident neighbor which is both contextually relevant and, and in terms of like local engram context, very relevant. And the model puts like 99% probability on that one neighbor. And so that's like a very, very peaky distribution. There might also be cases where the model will, will sort of retrieve the same or the, the correct target token, but in a number of different, different but relevant contexts as well. And so in this case, the distribution might be sparse over the neighbors, but it's still very confident about what the next token should be. So the, the actual distribution still ends up being sharp, but, but it's sort of spread out across a number of different neighbors. So, so yeah, I think like basically the, the fact is that when, when there are cache hits, the Canon distribution helps to, to make the LM distribution sharper. And the hope is that, that when the Canon distribution is not as sharp, the LM distribution is still good for generalizing to the, the true target. Right. And uh, yeah, you also mentioned interpolating the two distributions, right? And uh, in general, if you didn't have interpolation, if you just had uh, the nearest neighbor language model alone, do you think, I mean, how well do you think it would work as a language model? So we actually tried this early on in the project. And, and what we found is because of the cache misses, mm -hmm. the perplexity would just jump to infinity. Mm -hmm. And so instead of smoothing it, we decided a better solution was to back off to the, to the language model uh, so that we could rely on its generalization capabilities. So, so that was kind of like a design decision we took early, early on in the project. I think like for the machine translation one, we did try to just generate from the Canon model and not interpolate the two and performance like dropped by a few blue points like i think three or four blue points but it, it was a pretty good machine translation model so the canon sampling from canon alone does, does work so right 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 okay great thanks and in general i mean i, I guess the intuition here is that uh, the canon lm itself should be good or better than the traditional neural language model at uh, predicting 
say, named entities or something, right? I mean, that, that, is, that was the intuition that I had. Is that what you see uh, as well? Absolutely. What we what we see is that it's most helpful for rare rare patterns, basically. So that might be names, long tail facts. It's also helpful for context specific n-grams. So cases where the model relies on both the local token level context, but also the the abstract longer range context. And because of this, we we in order to like rigorously quantify this behavior, we ran this experiment where we trained many different n-gram uh, language models, I think from unigram all the way up to 10 grams, and interpolated these with our base language model and found that none of them really improved behavior of, over the base LM. So the, the main benefit from, from our model is far more powerful than just doing the lexical local pattern matching. It's learning generalizable representations, which is why it can improve performance by by like such huge margins. Hmm. Okay. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk more about some of the experiments you ran. So the first experiment for the first experiment in the paper, you just compared the uh, traditional neural language model with uh, the interpolated canon and neural language models on uh, with, with the same training data. Can, can you tell us more about that experiment and what you saw? Yeah, sure. So the context around this experiment is that we used the Wikitext 103 data for, for one of the two domains that we tested the setting on. And Wikitext 103 is a standard language modeling benchmark. And our base model actually was near state of the art on this data. So it was very well tuned for this exact data set, which means that, that our base LM was an extremely strong baseline. But even so, providing this strong baseline with a data store containing only the training data it had already seen, so no, no other data beyond just the, the tokens it was already trained on, we still saw huge improvements in, in perplexity, which is pretty surprising, I think. And so I think that the main takeaway from this experiment for us was that when the data store contains the same data that the model was trained on, can an LM still results in improved generalization, even when the underlying model is an extremely strong baseline, which kind of shows that, that maybe models are, are still underutilizing their training data to some extent, and, and Canon LM helps to rectify this. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. And I think an important hyperparameter here is the interpolation factor, right? Yeah, um, yeah. What values of interpolation hyperparameter did you use? So for this particular setting, it was, I think, 0.25. And, and we just sort of manually tuned it at 0.5 increments between 0 and 1, where 0 would be no Canon retrieval and 1 would be only using the, the Canon data store. So yeah, we just manually filled it. Right. Okay. And uh, right, going back to the earlier point of discussion uh, regarding the Canon LM being more helpful for certain kinds of words or phrases. Do you think it would make sense to think about making the interpolation hyperparameter uh, be more context dependent? I know you have uh, static, you, you made uh, I mean, this decided once and it's static throughout uh, uh, in the model. Would, would it make sense to make this uh, more context dependent? Absolutely. I think I think that would like really help to not only sort of like help with with generalization or like improving model the model's reliance on nearest neighbor retrieval for the settings that really matters, but, but also with efficiency, because then the model can, can sort of start to, to not, not make 
uh, retrievals for cases where where it really doesn't need to rely on on the nearest neighbor retrieval because like currently we're doing retrieval for even all the frequent words which is is kind of not really necessary and I think there's some work from from CMU on efficient nearest neighbor language models where they did try to they did took the efficiency perspective on the setup and trained a retrieval adapter network I think like a small network on top of VLM to predict the the interpolation parameter and they saw they saw that like it massively improves efficiency um, without sacrificing too much too much in terms of performance oh okay that, that's great to know cool okay all right so so let's talk more about uh, the experiments in the paper uh, I think the second experiment you ran in the paper was uh, pretty exciting where you increase or change the data store and uh, use the same model for representation learning, uh, which is the original language model itself, uh, but just change the data store to inc uh, include a lot more data. Can you tell us more about that experiment? Yeah, for sure. I agree. This was a very exciting experiment and I really liked it too. So what we did was we trained two models, one on the 3 billion tokens of Wikipedia and a second one on just 100 million token subset of of the same data. And we provided the 100 million token model with a data store containing all 3 billion tokens of data and found that it improved performance beyond training that same model on the 3 billion tokens, which is kind of nuts, but it did. And like this kind of shows us that, that when the number of trainable parameters in the model is restricted, retrieving neighbors from the corpus can actually outperform training on it, which, which is, I think, yeah, I agree with the great results. Yeah, right. And this also is, it kind of nicely verifies your original hypothesis, right? That uh, uh, text matching is, uh, could be a simpler problem than next word prediction. Right. right. So you had experiments, you have experiments in the paper where uh, you varied the amount of data in the data store. I was curious if you also tried uh, varying the amount of data used to train the original language model itself so that you can get better representations, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know we didn't. I think like the, the only data point we had was the 3 billion versus 100 million, which kind of shows that for smaller models in, in constrained settings, sort of, um, yeah, relying on, on the data store for generalizing using more data seems like uh, the easier or like the better way to go. Okay. Do you think after a point of time, you wouldn't need any more data to learn good representations? Do you think that's possible? I think for the small model setting, this seems to be true based on this experiment. For larger models, I think the question starts to get into murky territory, right? Because we, we see with the larger models, more data causes new behaviors to emerge like prompting and, and context learning and, and chain of thought reasoning, etc. So so I think we need a lot more research to understand how memorization could be helpful in this setting and where exactly the headroom is. Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, right. Let's talk about the third set of experiments in your paper where you looked at domain adaptation, which is kind of a natural extension to what we were talking about just now, right? Yeah. Can you please tell us more about that experiment? Sure. So in this experiment, what we did was we trained one LM on Wikipedia. And we wanted to evaluate its performance on, uh, on the, a different domain, basically. So, so for this, we use the Toronto Books Corpus. And we found that when we augment the base LM, which was trained on Wikipedia, 3 billion tokens of Wikipedia, when we augment it with a data store that contains 
data from the target distribution, so books, Toronto Books Corpus books, it actually helps to improve performance by a pretty large margin. So this shows us that that we can, using a single model, we can we can generalize in different domains by simply swapping out which data what data is contained or which data store is being used with PNNLM, which I think is pretty pretty exciting. Right, uh, indeed. Uh, so what uh, what are all the domains you experimented with? Can you please tell us more? For the setting, we worked with Wikipedia and and books. I think for the Canon MT, we further validated this result by by looking at I think five different domains and seeing that so long as you have have target distribute or data from the target distribution, uh, you can sort of see this domain adaptation behavior using Canon LM. Uh, is uh, was it the case that with domains that are two different, you saw smaller gains? So I think we we saw smaller gains. Um, based on sometimes the size of the, the data store. If the data store was sort of too small, there's not really enough information in the data store for the model to be able to rely on. Or I guess like in higher level terms, you see more cache misses uh, than cache hits. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about the extension to machine translation next. Uh, before we go there, do you think, uh, are there any, is there anything else uh, related to gain and language models that you think is exciting? That we haven't talked about? I think we covered all the highlights. There was like one other experiment that we'd run in the paper that I thought was kind of interesting. It it basically gets to this question of, well, if you overfit a language model to the training data, then it's basically memorized the training data. Why not just interpolate uh, an overfit language model with the base LM and instead of building a separate data store? And so we did this. We we turned off regularization and had the the same language model overfit to the training data. So we had like perfect uh, or zero loss on the the training set. But it didn't really learn good generalizable representation. So we couldn't when we even when we interpolated this model with the base LM, it basically resulted in no no improvement in performance. So the generalizable representations are sort of key. Right. So let me see if I understand the inference uh, you made from this uh, from this result correctly. So the two settings you were comparing were one where you're interpolating the neural language model with uh, a similar neural language model, which is just overfitting uh, on the training data. And the other is your KNNLM interpolation, right? So the fact that the KNNLM interpolation was doing better, you, you said it shows that uh, the generalizable representations are more important. I, I don't uh, fully follow that. How exactly are you making the difference? Because the the model that has overfit to the training data, the representation or the context representations that it's learning for the training data are overfit to the data. They're not exactly generalizable. Oh, I see. And so, so whereas because we're using the same context representations from the LM, when we when we use them to search our nearest neighbor's data store, it seems to to work really well and result in performance improvement. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. Thanks. So yeah, let's talk about the machine translation paper. Right. So what are the key differences between the KNN machine translation models and KNN LM models? Sure. So going from KNN LM to KNN MT, we're going from density estimation to conditional generation. So now we're conditioning on source text in addition to the prior context. In, uh, in the target language, and we're generating entire sequences from uh, using Canon MT. So, but but if you think about if you think about um, a machine translation model, the, the decoder is basically a language model, right? 
with, with a few minor details. So we can basically apply Canon LM pretty easily to the Canon MT setting. And we kind of made, there are two differences between the two. The first is thinking about what gets stored in the data store, right? So we don't save for Canon MT any source language tokens in the data store. We're only saving target language tokens. And so conditioning on the source language is always implicit via the, the context representations or the keys. So, so that's one important detail. And the second difference is that for Canon MT, we use this temperature parameter to flatten the Canon distribution a bit because we empirically observed that the model was sometimes overfitting to the top one nearest neighbor. And, and so to mitigate this issue, we, we added the temperature parameter and manually tune it. Okay. So you made this point that uh, when we're going from language modeling to machine translation, we're going from density estimation to generation or uh, condition generation, right? Does that or did that affect uh, the formulation of your model itself, uh, the way the data store was built, for example? No, no, it didn't because like I mentioned, we're only saving target tokens. So even because it's a conditional generation model, like in spite of the fact that we have source language tokens as well, we're not really trying to to save any any sort of information on on the source language side. We're only encoding information on reliance on the source language implicitly via the the representations. So we start by saving saving values in the token or in the target language side or tokens from the target language. So we just iterate through the the tokens in the target language one by one. Okay, and, and even here you uh, interpolate uh, the Canon machine translation model with uh, the original uh, conditional language model, right? Uh, yes, yeah, 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 we do. Um, so we're using the same setup, but I think I mentioned this before that that in this case, because we're generating sequences, we can actually turn off the, the interpolation and use only the Canon model mm -hmm. to, to generate. It's just that the, the distribution which is being used is now a Canon-only distribution as opposed to a Canon, Canon MT. Okay. Right. And just to be clear, this, say, if you're using Beam Search, it shouldn't affect Beam Search itself, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Right. So let's talk about uh, the experiments you ran uh, in this paper. Let's talk particularly about the ma uh, multilingual machine translation experiments, because I think uh, those were exciting. And uh, I, th I think it, they were talking about more than the others, because the others are very similar to the uh, language modeling experiments. So yeah, can you can you please tell us what the experimental setup here was? Sure. So here the idea is that we train one single machine translation model on a large number of or a large number of language pairs where the source and target language are, are always identified by language IDs. So we're training one model and, and the hope is that it will learn to transfer across across languages by using the same parameters to sort of learn to translate in all language pairs. And so in this setting, we even though the, the model is trained on all of these, these language pairs at test time, it typically has to translate from one source language to one target language. And, and this is where we could use Canon MT because we can provide it with language-specific data stores. So we're still getting to use the, the transfer benefits of training one multilingual model, but, but we can specialize the model to a specific language pair that we care about. And so I kind of like to think about this as, as task specialization, where you, you have one model that during training is multitasking across many tasks, but becomes a specialist in that, in that task at test time by, by using uh, a task-specific data store. And so we, for this experiment, we, we tested two different settings. The first one was where we, 
is what, what, what I just described. We were providing language-specific data stores. And we tested this on a, a pretty large set of language pairs and, and found that performance improves pretty nicely on average. And I think there were some very large data stores that we used for this experiment as well. I think I, our largest was like over 6 billion key value pairs. And so we, we were kind of curious, well, like where are the improvements coming from? And it turns out that even if you use just a subset of the, the data store, you still see pretty large improvements in performance, which which I think like raises interesting questions about like how you want to decide what data is most valuable to put in the, the data store and, and I think is worth worth exploring in the future as well. Like for instance, in my experience through, through the experiments, I saw that like adding noisy data can really hurt Canon MT performance. So so like making sure you're filtering for quality is is sort of important. And the other experiment that we we did for the multilingual setting was using English as source data. So we basically, for this setting, we, we observed that, that like we had a lot of high quality data for, for English. And since our, our setup doesn't rely on the source language explicitly, we can actually use any data store for Canon MT so long as the target language is, is what we desire. Um, the source language can, can sort of vary and be different from the, the source language at hand. So for instance, like if we're translating from German to Japanese, we can use English to Japanese data in the data store. And, and for these kinds of settings also, we saw that that performance did improve quite a bit. And I think this is, this is a really interesting result for, with implications for low resource languages, right? Because now we can sort of rely on data stores that come from high resource languages and still be able to hope to improve performance for the, the low resource translations. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, that That's pretty interesting. So the, the point you made about uh, data stores, I mean, deciding what exactly go to, goes into a data store um, and uh, that giving us greater control over what exactly gets generated. I think that's, uh, that's pretty interesting and I think it's worth talking about more. So when you have, uh, when you know what the target language is uh, or what kind of target language you want to generate, uh, if you make sure that the, that the data store only has tokens from that, that language, you are guaranteed to generate only those tokens, right? But uh, I guess that's not the case with uh, the usual conditional language models, right? Even if you have a target language ID, you're not, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the, the probability assigned to tokens of other languages are uh, is very low, but still you're, you're not guaranteed to generate only tokens from that language, right? So how exactly do the distributions from the usual conditional language model look like? Is what I just said true? Do, uh, is it pretty the case that uh, you only generate uh, um, tokens from the same target language that you want to generate from? Intuitively, I think that's right. I didn't actually check how the the behavior or like what how the distributions look different. So I, I couldn't definitively tell you if that is happening. But I think like intuitively that is that is correct. Like basically, or, or stepping popping up a level, you can you can think of the the data store as being used to to dictate what the output space should be. And this is especially true when when you're using only the Canon model and not interpolating with the base model. So you can you can effectively fully constrain what the output space should be, and I think that's what you're describing here that that we can like control what the target 
target language tokens are. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, indeed, being able to control uh, the output spaces, uh, I mean, I, I think it's it's a very easy way to uh, apply those constraints, right? Using, using a data store with only tokens that you want to generate from. Okay, uh, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Uh, so you, you described uh, uh, your experiments in the low resource settings as well. Uh, in general, what are your main takeaways from the results from these experiments in multilingual machine translation? I think they're precisely what I described before. Like, I think that that we we should be able to to think of this like task specialization setup pretty nicely, where we can we can sort of have this this model that's that's multitasking during training, but but we want it to be especially specialized to the the task at hand. And for the for the low resource language setting, yeah, I, I think like being sort of investigating this question of of how can how much can like read data from high resource related high resource languages help with the low resource. We only sort of looked at English to to test an initial proof of concept, but but like you could you, if you're translating from you know Nepali to to English, like does Hindi like really help going from Hindi to English really help a lot because the uh, the representations might be more closely related than if you're comparing like Nepali to English for instance or Nepali to German. Or something like that. So, so I think like these questions probably warrant further further investigation, and I think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Is there anything uh, else related to the remaining experiments you ran for, for the machine translation paper that you'd like to talk about? No, I think we highlighted the the interesting aspects. I, I think like the the fact that we were able to sort of reinforce the domain adaptation finding that that a single model can be useful in multiple domains by simply adding a domain specific data store i think we like very nicely reinforced this finding in the canon mt paper which which was kind of nice but i think we highlighted the multilingual experiment sort of like yeah i think we're we're a big highlight for me as well you did talk about some of the open questions that we can think about in this in this line of work. Can you please summarize your thoughts on what the most exciting open questions are that would be exciting to pursue? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So at a high level, I think there's a lot of interesting work in in sort of studying the efficiency of this approach, applying it to other settings, training with PNNLM, scaling it to larger, larger data stores the way Retro did. And I think there's also a lot of interesting work studying memorization in large language models, which I think will inform our understanding of where the headroom is and where explicit memorization might be useful. But taking a step back, I think I also want to highlight that that token level retrieval, the way we're doing it in KNNLM and KNNMT, is, is sort of just one instantiation of the generalization through memorization framework. And it would be it would be useful, and I would encourage people to think of this this general framework and settings where explicitly drawing associations might be helpful, probably in sequential decision-making problems. But like thinking about, about if, we, if we have instructions matching intent or task intent across instructions and prompts, can that be useful for, for generating synthetic data or for automatically generating few shot prompts. I think we discussed this a little bit, but like sort of in cases where we want to constrain model behaviors uh, or specific set of constraints or specific class of states out of which we want to cons constrain the model's future behavior. Can we, can we sort of use this generalization through memorization framework in, in those settings as well? I think moving forward, yeah, thinking about 
thinking about it less as a token level retrieval mechanism, but more as a, as a high level generalization through memorization, like drawing associations as a framework in that way, uh, I think can open up a, a wealth of possibilities for how we can use this in the future. Yeah, yes, the, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, talking about these directions. Yeah, that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this work. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that we could uh, chat about uh, uh, these two papers. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks so much. Uh, and thanks for the invite. I, I had fun chatting about it as well. A quick shout out to my co-authors. This work was done with some amazing people. And thank you for inviting me. It was really fun. <laughs>